0: race was on. People of great wealth understood the risk that they were taking, but the despotism and tyranny had reached such a level that men's livelihood was being taken from them. Their lives were being ruined. King George and his monarchy had to be cast down as a new constitutional republic was being put in place. Something of this nature had never been seen before in the history of nations. A government formed by the people for the people. Would it stand? Could it endure? Was it worth fighting for and losing all? Indeed, it was. But time has passed, and the nation has fallen into the hands of those who do not recognize the intentions and principles of the Founding Fathers. A new idea has been incorporated. Our president, today, likes to call it democracy, something that was vehemently rejected early on. Earlier, it was called progressivism, and was tightly embraced by Western Europe intellectuals, and soon thereafter, by the American elite. Today, it's called socialism. It has been polished and reshaped, redefined, but the smell and the effects are the same as they have been since its inception. It is followed constantly by chaos, inflation, restrictions, and regulations. These are being forced upon the American people in ways that many are unaware of, while the elite eat their cake. The rich are becoming incredibly richer, and the middle class is disappearing. The poor, well, they're being forced into the arms of the state, this is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. I want to invite you to continue following us as we're discussing various topics related to the condition of our nation today. We will be considering the subject: how to eat an elephant. Watching the Progressives win the battle for the soul of America. Hope you've been a bit. In our previous podcast, we ended with the question, do we have a constitutional republic or not? And why is it important to know this? It's a real question. There are no constraints provided in the democratic republic to prohibit the majority from engaging in self-dealing at the expense of the minority. James Madison argued that a new government would need to be established in order to replace the weakness of the democratic state governments while still preserving popular sovereignty. Now, to quote James Madison, To secure the public good and private rights against the danger of such a faction, at the same time preserve the spirit and form of popular government, is then the great object to which our inquiries are directed. Now remember, he wrote all of the thoughts that were reading prior to the Constitutional Convention. These were private musings to organize his thoughts prior to going to the Constitutional Convention. This was a paper he wrote, Madison was not the only one who saw the great problems that were coming out of the majority rule idea, the democracy of states, that had been established essentially by the Articles of Confederation. Edmund Randolph, the first Attorney General of the United States, observed the general object is to find a cure for the evils under which the United States labored, and that in tracing these evils to their origin, every man had found them in the turbulence and the folly of a democracy. Eldridge Cherry said that The evils the United States experienced flowed from the excesses of democracy. Roger Sherman of Connecticut argued at the Constitutional Convention that the people immediately should have as little to do as they may with with a democratic government. Governor Morris from Pennsylvania said that every thinking man has to see in the democratic branches of the state legislature's participation in Congress changeableness, and in every department excesses against personal liberty. How so? The personal liberties were being restricted by majority rule. There were liberties restricting personal and private property, and personal safety. Even those who were sympathetic towards democracy, like George Mason of Virginia, he said that we we had become too democratic in forming state governments. At the end of the convention, a gathering appeared outside of Independence Hall to learn what had been produced behind those closed doors. These men had been deliberating for quite some time in secret. And it was said when Benjamin Franklin was confronted with this question and he was leaving the building, a woman said, What form of government have we arrived at, doctor? Benjamin Franklin said, A constitutional republic, if we can keep it. The new government was not a monarchy, nor was it a democracy. A democracy. Benjamin Franklin referred to the new government as a republic, because the men in that room had changed the meaning during their debates. There was no longer a democratic republic. It was a constitutional republic, which meant essentially it was no longer majority rule. It was rule by law, the laws that were established within the Constitution, every state thereafter would soon replace their more democratic constitutions with the variant that favored the Republican form of of a republic designed to check the issues arising from majority rule. What we should learn from this, it's very important, is that the difference between a democratic constitution and a republican constitution is critical. The fundamental difference between the two is, is the conception of legitimacy that underlies the whole document. A democracy is built on the legitimacy of rule by the people as a group, or what is known as the collective, or what you could call popular sovereignty, which is in practical application simply means majority rule of the people. Under this view, anything that impedes or thwarts the will of the majority is said to be illegitimate and wrong. For example, if we elect a president based on electoral votes allocated to states on a winner-take-all basis... It's possible for a president who gains the majority of electors to win the office of president while receiving less than the majority of popular vote. Now, if we look at that and we hear the arguments, the argument is simply this. Those who support the rule of the majority stand back and say such an election process is illegitimate. It thwarts the will of the majority, and therefore it's undemocratic, and thus such an election is illegitimate and should not be allowed to take place. Well, the Constitution of the United States says, yes, it is undemocratic. We do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. The election is criticized as being undemocratic because the majority doesn't get to rule. The majority voted against this man. So that affects a great deal of the rule in the nation. Judges do not run for office. They're appointed by the executive, which means the president. Federal judges are appointed for life. And it's often said that these federal judges do not represent the will of the people. They represent the will of a party. And this is undemocratic. There are those who want to expand the courts, allowing for the opposition to appoint judges as well, in order to balance the scales of justice. That would be more democratic. But the problem that's being addressed here in the Constitutional Convention was that democracy was destroying the nation. The idea was being discussed on how you break from a democratic system. So this new proposal was not democratically designed at all. Majority rule was off the table and no longer considered as the United States' form of government. This has long been forgotten in American politics today. The question rises if it's possible to regain the constitutional republic that has been torn away from us under the rule and regime of Woodrow Wilson and his acolytes started to be chipped away under Abraham Lincoln when he unilaterally suspended the right of habeas corpus, allowing for his detractors to be placed in prison without legal recourse of trial. In other words, Lincoln took it upon himself to circumvent the constitutional liberties afforded to all men in America during wartime. Now my question would be, does the Constitution apply during wartime differently than it does during times of peace? Huh are individual liberties suspended during a time of war. Under Woodrow Wilson, the Constitution was ignored as new laws were established that set up a democracy in lieu of a constitutional republic. Wilson was adamantly opposed to the Constitution. It was Wilson who insisted there were no inalienable rights given to men, but only rights that were provided to men by the government. We only have rights and responsibilities that are determined by society through the power of the government. What does that sound like to you? This was Wilson's thought, and it was Wilson who challenged and changed the Constitution in every speech that he made. For Wilson, the call to arms was for every American to surrender his individual liberty on the altar of social justice for the good of the country. His ideas followed hard along the lines of Hegel and other German philosophers and Enlightenment thinkers. Those thinkers deeply inspired one document that was written and authored by Karl Marx. Barack Obama took up this same mantle as well, and we can see the progressives of our day implementing more and more federal programs as they are fully convinced of the ability of the collective to correct the ills of society and of the individual. They know better than you. They view, the view that they propose is that the individual is inefficient and the definite need is for the individual to call and rely upon governmental intervention. Why? Because the government has the experts, the highly educated individuals. Thus, the individual American citizen is incapable of taking any true responsibility of their own lives or the lives of their children. How can they be entrusted to self-govern themselves? the state has to step in. It's a solemn duty of the government. Keep this in mind as you consider the role of Democrats in public office today. This is their guiding light. This is what motivates them and pushes them. Control and power. That's the only way they can truly help you as an individual. James Madison saw a real need to define terms and argued vehemently for the establishing of the Bill of Rights. While there were several who helped write the Constitution, Madison obviously having a major hand in that, it was pretty much the work of James Madison in writing the Bill of Rights. Human nature being understood by those involved in the Constitutional Convention of 1787 knew that if human nature wasn't checked that it would gravitate downward and seek to side with the idea, again, of majority rule. And if it wasn't checked, The Constitutional Republic would cease to be. This is what Benjamin Franklin meant when he said, A Constitutional Republic, if we can keep it. Eventually, if it wasn't vigilantly maintained, a democracy, which had already been revealed to engender factions and party spirits, would creep in and find place again. The rights of the minority would be disparaged and denied and soon these things would come about. The elite and those who are wealthy, somehow they always manage to form a core that guides and manipulates the rights and the liberties of the individual. Madison presented the problem of faction and majority tyranny, where passions of the moment harm not only the minority, but eventually the whole body politic. Government need not be weak, but its power needs to be carefully restrained and checked so it may be vigorously pursued only as it pursues that which is properly assigned to the government. Be sober, he said, be sober, not utopian, in the consideration of human nature. We've learned how to construct institutions to better deal with human nature, though, but we must recognize that the unchanging fact of human nature is that man is fallen. The faction is sown into the nature of man. Separation of powers, therefore, is essential in order to protect men from the overreach of the government. Thus, you have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branches of the government. There's not one group more powerful than the other. There's a balance. A single-party system is anathema to the constitutional republic, but it's a true gem to be grasped in democratic thought. We can see the Democrats under Wilson took hold of that jewel and since that time the political parties of the United States have accepted the demise of our constitutional republic and they fully embrace democracy. And you have Republicans and Democrats fighting for a democracy. Both parties have rejected the idea of true constitutional rule. The opportunities, however, have been provided for a full return to constitutional rule under Calvin Coolidge and under Hoover. Under Eisenhower, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Bush, one and two, and even Donald Trump. The machine has been in place, though, for over a hundred years, and nobody wants to throw that out and return to the constitutional ideas. The truth is, when a single party controls the corporations, the education, the religion, trade, and finances, rest assured that no one man will be able to pull us back to our moorings, which we left so long ago. It's not simply a matter of electing conservatives into office. These conservatives must have a single mind as to what must be done, and if anything has marked the Republican Party over the years, it's not unity. It's disunity, and a true lack of organizational unity. The conservatives are anxious to fight among themselves, and by no means are they ready to work in a unified manner with a clear and focused goal. Each elected conservative, congressman, or senator, has a totally independent understanding of what the conservative principles actually are or should be. So there's no cohesive plan in place. There's no written order of how we should do these things. The deep state is a living body politic held in place by the progressive Marxists, inspired by Wilson and Roosevelt, and presently run and managed under the rule of Barack Obama. Or you want to say Biden, that's fine. This ruling body has been a fixture in American politics for well over 100 years. Its roots are profoundly deep, and they control every aspect of American life. We say, no, that's not true. I say, yes, it is. What kind of light bulb are you allowed to use in your home? Or, a simple question, what happens if you don't buckle your seatbelt? To bring the nation back to the position of the founders would appear to be nearly impossible. As Americans, we have no concept of the constitutional republic our forefathers spoke of. We have no concept of true liberty and freedom as presented by the signatories of the Declaration of Independence. Personally, I find this to be disgraceful. I, I really find it to be disgraceful to hear any politician ignorantly recite the phrase, and God bless these the United States of America. They speak it as if they were assigning the blessings of God upon our efforts here. But if you look at America and understand what's going on, and if you're Christian and understand the Biblical principles, if God were to bless America, he would need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Our elected leaders, who are reflections of the desires and the directions of the people, have patiently and intentionally rejected the rule of God. It was the United States Supreme Court, under the leadership of Justice Earl Warren, 1961 and 1962, that insisted that God, the God of the Bible, had no place in American education. Now we have the temerity and audacity to call upon God to bless our efforts in education. The fact is that we can still hope in God. The government cannot regulate that. And no government can take this from you. We can still worship God. Again, no government can restrict this. The body they may kill, as Martin Luther well put it in a hymn that he wrote, And they have done this in times past. But God's truth abideth still. We may have to restrict our worship to private places. And you may say, well, that's a bit draconian. But recall just a few short months ago, it was Andy Beshear, the governor of Kentucky, that forbid the Kentuckians to attend church on a Sunday. He even sent state police out to monitor the cars that were showing up in the parking lots of churches. So do you think my ideas are far-fetched? He did this, and he has the audacity right now to stand up and say he has helped Kentucky in such a way. So don't be surprised when these things start to happen. They cannot eliminate God's word nor the power of God's word to change men and bring peace to the heart. However, they can do their best to shut down the dissemination of God's word and they are trying. Rest assured, these men hate God. They hate any religion which they cannot control and manipulate. They despise Christianity, and they are doing what they can to infiltrate the churches and seminaries that teach conservative Christianity according to biblical principle. Christianity, they say, is what fueled Trump on the January 6, 2020 events at the Capitol. They blame this on Christian nationalism, It's viewed as an extremely hateful approach to life. If you hold to literal interpretation of the scriptures, you're a suspect and you're radical and a threat to our democracy. In other words, you are an enemy of the state. To speak of sinful behavior such as homosexuality or pedophilia or sex out of wedlock, well, that makes you an extreme bigot and a hate monger. To reject abortion on demand, which today extends until after the child is born is to reject the innate right of a woman to kill her unborn and unwanted child. That's bigotry. To oppose the legalizations of drugs is racist. To reject BLM or critical race theory gives evidence that you support your radical extreme positions which stand against the majority. Barack Obama referred to such people as those who love their guns and hug their Bibles. And remember... This man was elected president for two terms. For me, I refer to people who desire a constitutional republic as freedom-loving constitutional republicans who stand for America based on the intention and design of our founding fathers. It's easily seen and readily discovered in a simple search that our nation has been co-opted by Woodrow Wilson and his acolytes. Under the rubric of liberal, He began dismantling the Constitutional Republic the day he entered into office. He rejected the Constitutional Republican idea established by James Madison and others during the Constitutional Convention of 1787. He did this without public consent, nor did he follow constitutional protocol. He deemed himself to be above the founders in intellect and intention. In the place of our constitutional republic, Wilson installed Hegelian ideology under the then-popular progressive movement. It was Woodrow Wilson who established the United States as a democracy, and he was followed in grandiose fashion by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was to become the first American dictator. And it was under his regime that Marxist ideology was installed as the operating principle of the newly established American democracy. The administrative state, or the bureaucracy, was established by Franklin D. Roosevelt, the deep state. Roosevelt unveiled his New Deal, which essentially informed the American people that the government would be willing to grant to you and I, the people, certain rights in exchange for certain commitments. The idea of inalienable rights had been long ago erased under Woodrow Wilson. We have to understand what we formerly knew as freedom and liberty was now to be regulated and controlled by the expert class, the elites. We jokingly say, hello, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you, as an indication of how invasive and pervasive the long arm of the government has become. We no longer have the right to do what we deem to be right and acceptable. We must first appeal to the government for permission in practically every aspect of life. If you're going to raise chickens and sell eggs, you have to have governmental approval. If you're going to raise cattle and sell meat, you have to be governmentally approved. Governments should have liberty to govern, that is understood. But these liberties need to be carefully defined and restricted. The Constitution of the United States was not written for the people. It was written for the government as restraints for the government. Laws must be established and literally and clearly enumerated. This includes and is not limited to education, business, finance, agriculture, emergency situations, medical care, legal matters, marriage, and childbirth. The government has jumped into every affair in your life. Recently, in an unsurprisingly appalling statement, Joe Biden told the National Teachers Association that effectively parental rights end at the schoolhouse door. The Constitution has absolutely no meaning to Barack Obama. I mean, Joe Biden. So the question is incredibly important. It has global ramifications. It truly does. And you need to answer it. And you need to understand the answer that you give. What's it based on? Do we have a constitutional republic or a democracy? And why does this matter? How would you answer that? Now, that's a very, very important question.